Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Taking a walk. When I was growing up, I never really focused on a plan B. And I know that from my generation, you grow up with people telling you, well, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? You need to have a plan B. I never focused on that because my plan A meant so much to me. And also that plan A can evolve over time. Thanks for joining us for this virtual edition of the Taking a Walk podcast. Buzz Knight's special guest is the lead singer from the multi-platinum chart-topping rock band that continues to build a legacy decades after it was formed. Brent Smith once said that as a band, Shinedown has only one boss. It just happens to be everyone in the audience. Brent Smith will take you on a journey that will bring you behind the scenes of one of America's great rock bands, Shinedown, as he joins Buzz Knight next on Taking a Walk. All right, well, Brent, congratulations on your uh, success and the legacy you and the band uh, continue to build. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, we try to keep the mentality of don't ever arrive. In this industry, it's not about the arrival. It's about the journey uh, more than anything. But uh, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, I know your music and your your touring, obviously, are something you're very proud of. But where in the, uh, let's call it the hierarchy of pride, um, do you put your um, work with the mental health community? At the very top. At the very top. You know, I'm in a band that is known for being um, a very lyrical band. We spend a lot of time on the message in the songs that we write in the studio. Um, and for me, I'm also in a band that's been, you know, we've been talking about mental health for the better part of two decades. 
So now seeing how it is being spoken about more and being brought to the forefront, because as human beings, we evolve, you know, the, the world that we're in now is everybody has a platform in regards to social media. And so I think that the most important thing in regards to mental health and why that's so important is that should be something that is looked at and talked about during your lifetime because it's your journey. You have to, I think for the longest time, people were made to feel embarrassed or ashamed because maybe they started to feel different as they were growing as an individual and what have you. And some of that can be scary at times. And when you don't feel as if you can talk to somebody about that, um, it can be very, very detrimental to your to your psyche. And I think the mental health aspect of of what Shine Down does is we give everybody a platform to to talk about it and to let them know you're a work in progress. It's okay, um, but you can't be quiet about it. I mean, the bravest thing you can do a lot of times is is speak up and not be silent. So I would put it at the top. How are you able to uh, be so transparent about it? I listen a lot. Um, I'm aware of my surroundings. Um, I don't necessarily have to be the first person in the conversation to speak um, because I'm trying to understand what someone is going through. I'm trying to understand um, what the situation is. Like, I started writing songs because I had something to say. I didn't start writing songs because I wanted to be famous. Um, I think that's kind of at the core, a really important element of of being a songwriter, at least from the way that I look at things. Uh, but I also genuinely care about people. Um, and in the band, our fan base has given us a platform to be ourselves and we want them to be themselves as well. And inside of that too, I think my perspective also comes from I grew up kind of hard um, in regards to people not necessarily understanding what I was about because I was a bit different than everyone. Um, I was very, very, uh, words were always a big deal to me from the moment I could write. Um, and I also have always been able to put my thoughts into a song format, even before I knew what a song was. I used to write poems when I was really young, not really knowing what that was. And then I always had a melody. Every day I would wake up, there was always a different thing going on in my mind and I was always crea creating something. Um, yeah, I think I'm just very aware of my surroundings. Did you share that poetry with anybody at that point in your life? Not at the at the age that I started. I mean, I think I started writing what I can remember is probably at 10 years old is when I started to really kind of figure out what was going on. Um, and then, uh, I mean, as I entered as I entered high school, um, I kind of started hanging out with a different crowd um, and they were a lot more. I was kind of a goth when I was uh in in high school but i was a uh, but i was broad um and what i mean by that is i just hung out with a lot of artistic people because i was my dad had me in sports at a young age and i was pretty good at uh baseball and basketball and i remember i, I turned 15 and i told my dad i 
dad, I don't want to play sports anymore. And I think it crushed him <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but, and my dad is amazing on so many levels and definitely my mom and my dad are probably my two biggest fans in the world. Um, but although it might've not necessarily disappointed my dad, he was just not aware of this artistic side of his son because I kind of kept it from him because I didn't know how he's going to react to it. Um, but when I told him and I started to express myself, he basically said, you know what? Um, all I ever want you to be is authentic. I want you to be real. That's, that's the biggest thing that I can teach you, son, is how to be authentic. Uh, so, so that helped out a lot, but I think that, uh, you know, when, when I was, I remember showing some of my poetry to my dad and my dad kind of be kind of taken aback by it. Didn't really, like, I think he, like when I showed it to him in the beginning, he looked at it and I was thinking to myself, he's going to think this is garbage. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not going to get it. And um, I think his expression was more of when I first showed it to him that he was a, he was a bit more like a light bulb went off because he had found a connection there also with his son because I think he felt, wow, this is, this is insightful for a 15-year-old kid. This is insightful very mature in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I remember showing some of it to my dad and, you know, as I was hanging out with a more of an artsy group of people, they encouraged me. That was what was cool about it. Not that my friends that were in sports and, and, and all that, you know, I didn't like stop being friends with the people that I, I, you know, played in, you know, played with in sports and things like that. It's just, I was finding myself. I was really opening myself up to a lot of different experiences. Was there a defining moment where you knew that music was going to be your life somehow? I knew from birth. I, I know some people are like, how, you know, how is that? I just can't ever remember not being completely captivated by songs. You know, music is one thing, but songs, I build that into you know, if it's a, if you're listening to like classical music or you're listening to instrumentation, the center stage is the instruments. But a song, there's a message in that because there's lyrics and a melody. So ever since I can remember, I was fascinated by songs and what the language was and what was going on. And, you know, as I got older, again, I, I love words and I love being able to create, you know, those, those different atmospheres and those different situations. And again, too, if I think about it more so now, I also started writing songs, I believe, because it was going to be cheaper than therapy. So, so, so I could just kind of, um, I don't want to be super ethereal and say like, I kind of figured out ways to heal myself. Um, by just being very vocal about how I felt because I could always put it down on paper and for whatever reason I could sing it out. That's, that's another thing too. I was very vocal from the moment I entered the earth. My mother would tell you that. She she was always like, he had no problems letting you know he was in the room. <laughs> and uh, I am extremely grateful that 
from the moment I entered the earth, I also always had a an idea of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. Like I never really struggled with that. I always wanted to be a performer. I knew I wanted to be a singer. I felt like I could have a real opportunity and a and a I felt like I was good enough to be able to write and come up with my own uh you know original material. So I I always had a direction. So I feel really lucky about that. My granny used to tell me all the time. She still tells me to this day, find something you love, son, and you will never work a day in your life. You know, uh, Desmond Child, who I know you worked with, the great songwriter, he talked about on this podcast that he sort of feels there's a role for him to, uh, to give people hope. And I feel like that's very similar to your view of the world. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, because we all understand the negativity is not going anywhere. It's always going to be there. It's something that um, I think that as human beings, you know, we all share the human condition with each other, but we're all connected to one another. And there are moments in the day with me where I see, again, talking about how technologically advanced we are and how everybody has a platform with social media and what have you. Um, I just try to lean more towards the positivity on a daily basis because I don't want people to give up because it's not happening for them right this second. It doesn't mean that it won't happen. And what I mean by that is whatever you want for your life, whatever you want your life to be, whatever direction you're going towards, um, it's important to fill people with confidence. I'm not saying you ain't going to have to work for it, but that's the journey inside of it too. You, you have to work for it. I've said this before when I was growing up, I never really focused on a plan B. And I know that from my generation, you grow up with people telling you, well, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? You need to have a plan B. I never focused on that because I, my plan A meant so much to me. And also that plan A can evolve over time. And I think sometimes people too, they get really afraid of a specific thing, which is called failure. I don't want to fail. What happens if I fail? You need to fail. You need to fail a lot. You got to, I encourage people to fail because it teaches you what to do next time. Or it um, gives you a different perspective of the architecture that you're trying to build for your own life. But I tell you this, you're not your life and your legacy won't be built by your failures. Your life and your legacy will be built by the fact that you refuse to give up. That's the whole point. Like, just don't give up. And if it takes you a minute to figure out what your plan A is, that's okay. But go after that. And as far as the negativity and and all that that we see in the world, I'm like, you know what? There's enough of it. I get it. It's not going anywhere. So I try to be more of a positive reinforcement. Well, we're going to talk about music and the connection of that and healing on our Music Save Me podcast with with Lynn Hoffman, uh, where you'll be guesting on that. Um, But I did want to go back to Desmond Child. Yeah. What was it like writing with him and what did you learn from him? Man, that was a that was a tornado of like brand new. It, it was so wild, man, because we uh 
we the band that I was signed to Atlantic with first, um, we got an opportunity to go to Nashville and work with him. And you know what's interesting about it? Like we wrote a song and the song was okay. Um, you know, again, this is Desmond Child. He, I mean, one thing, but that's the whole thing. It was Desmond Child. And I think Desmond spent more time with me during those two days of really, yes, we were working on a song. Yes, we were in a recording, like multi-million dollar recording studio and all that. But I spent more time with Desmond asking him questions just about songwriting and the music industry and uh, life on the road and all the artists that he works with and how he goes in and looks at each individual artist differently. And he's not necessarily writing for himself. He's trying to put himself in the same environment as that person that he's writing with. And this whole element as a songwriter is also to get that artist to talk to him when they're trying to figure out what they want to write about. And there's a lot of psychology involved. And I learned in that short period of time, uh, those two days really had an impact on me because he kind of gave me a sounding board in a lot of ways to, once again, don't stop asking questions. Know when to stop listen and keep your eyes and ears open but also to remember that songwriting and music in general it's constantly evolving um he was fantastic it i, I gotta re i gotta find a way to reach out to him too because it's been 25 26 years since that moment in time um but uh i, I did i learned a great deal from him in those 48 hours we'll be right back with more of the taking a walk podcast Welcome back to the Taking a Walk podcast. I want to talk about Jelly Roll, who's been a guest on these podcasts as well. Yeah. How did you find his music, and how does it make you feel that both of you, meaning you and the band Shinedown and Jelly Roll, defy categorization? Well, first of all, if there is a person on this planet that deserves the amount of overwhelming and extremely earned success, it is Jelly Roll. That guy, I'm going to tell you what Jelly Roll is. Jelly Roll is necessary. I mean, because it didn't happen overnight for him. It didn't happen overnight for us either. But, you know, the path that he has created for himself is because he has been patient yet grinding so hard for his entire career and his entire life up until this point. Seeing him win these awards and seeing him be brought to the forefront, that didn't happen overnight by any stretch of the imagination. And to see the Billboard nominations, to see him win New Artist of the Year at the CMAs the other night, to see, I believe he has six Grammy nominations, I'm just unbelievably, or I should say not unbelievable, I am so believably proud of this guy because he deserves it. And, you know, when I met him, well, how I got introduced to him was, honestly, I was on YouTube one day, and I think I was probably one of the first people to watch the live version 
of him in the studio for the song Save Me. I think I remember being, I think it had like 150,000 views when I watched it for the first time. And I was just completely floored by it. I think it's up to like almost 300 million views now. Um, but again, it was very genuine. It was very unique. And again, going back to that realism and that authenticity that I was talking about a minute ago, you know, that my dad told me, like, focus on being authentic. That is a prime example of where I watched something for the first time, not knowing who he was, never hearing his voice. And obviously, I went down a very unique rabbit hole after I watched that, because you see that he's multi-formatted. You see that it's, you know... And the way I feel about it is the exact same way he does. It's not about rap music, rock music, metal music, pop music, country music, you know, R&B, gospel. uh, It's about all music. It's about not being uh, pigeonholed and not being put into a box. You know, you don't want to handcuff yourself creatively. And for for me and him, uh, I met him. Uh, and I think it was 2021. Yeah, it was 2021 at Blue Ridge uh, Festival. And he was on the same day that we were. And so we went to him early in the day. I knew he was going to be there. Had never met him before. Zach, actually, our guitar player, Zach Myers, I actually didn't know this, but he knew him a little bit um, just from the Tennessee uh you know the the link up of because i'm from knoxville tennessee zach's from memphis tennessee jelly's from antioch um so there was a tennessee connection there um and so i met him and we're just talking about music and i was talking to him about save me and how just blown away i was by that and then i just said hey you want to come up on stage with us tonight and do simple man and he was like really and i was like yeah and he it, it, that's the great thing about Jelly. He is down for anything. And he's such a wealth of knowledge mentally when it comes to, uh, again, just all kinds of music and all kinds of songs. That's a steel trap he's got. And uh, so he comes up and we do the song together and it gets filmed and it goes out on YouTube. I think it's up to like six or seven million views. And this is just like a, a phone recording of it. You know, uh, and our videographer, Sanjay, he was on stage filming it as well. But that got put out. I got his number. We started talking to each other. And then at the beginning of last year, um, probably February of last year, I just kind of made a decision. I knew what the touring schedule was going to be for us um, and kind of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to build it out. So I called him and I said, would you be main support for our Revolutions Live tour um, in the fall? It's about 42 shows. It's all amphitheaters. Um, and you're, you'd are you be main support. And he was, at the time, he just was like, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I, it, I, we'd be honored. So we took a, and another awesome young man, too, at that time, um, uh, John Harvey. So... But when I went to everybody at the label and management, um, and I understood why they were a little hesitant because they didn't know who he was, but I told everybody, you got to remember, this is last year in February for a fall tour. Um, And I said, uh, we're going to bring 
John Harvey and Jelly Roll with us this fall. And everybody was like, who? And I said, you're just going to need to trust me. And, uh, dude, the rest is history. You know, it's, uh, and he would come out every night and do Simple Man with us. And Zach would go out on his set and they do 99 Problems, Jay-Z. Because, like, Jelly's set was so, like, amazing and just a, like, just a cornucopia of all kinds of music and styles and everything. So it was super, super rad. Man, that was one of the funnest times on tour that I have had in the last 20 years is, is going out there with him and, uh, and being a part of that and watching his rise. And again, going back to your question about the multi-format and the broadening of, of that, I have never been in a band that in regards to Shinedown from day one, I never wanted the music to be put into a box. And again, it goes back to me and Jelly would have a lot of discussions about that on the road with each other. Again, going back to you can have country influences and rock influences and pop influences and alternative and all that. You should be categorized into staying in one lane. And I think the future for a lot of artists, if, if we can be anything to help with that, as we move forward in music, you know, that pendulum constantly swings back and forth, but you don't have to, as an artist, you shouldn't be put into or pigeonholed into being, you can only go down this road. You can only do this kind of music. If you're known for this, you can't do anything else. And that's just not true. You should be able to be diverse. You should be able to evolve. Um, you know, music is powerful. And as you, as you move forward in your career, again, you got to keep your eyes and your ears open, but also too, you should be inspired at different times in your career with different styles of music. You should always be open-minded. That's the big, that's the point is to be open-minded. Well, you preside over uh, one of America's biggest and best rock bands. That's true. And um, uh, so you've seen- I'm proud of it. And, and you should be, and you see and continue to see great success. What do you tell somebody like Jelly Roll, who's experiencing this tremendous rise and amazing success? What do you tell them to keep them in check and have it be something where you don't lose perspective? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, He's doing fantastic in regards to what you're talking about from a psychological standpoint and handling everything that's going on in his life right now and in his world. Um, he's doing a fantastic job at that because that's just who he is. He's, he's really, really gifted and he's also really smart because, again, he continues to ask questions. He continues to we have a. We have a saying in Shinedown, which is you can't make it about the painter. You have to make it about the painting. So you have to look at the big picture. And I mean, I remember when last year when we were on tour together, we we talked a lot about because at the time that I, I believe that was really the first time he had gone out on a tour where it was like consecutive weeks in a row. You know, we were out there for like almost 10 weeks together and one of the biggest things that I told him just from a performance standpoint, because he had not really done that kind of a schedule. And we talked really, really early on, too, before we even got out on the road with each other. The two biggest things that I told him was from a physical standpoint, your voice is something that you cannot plug in. It's not like you can break a string and restring it. 
It's not like if you, you know, you're a drummer, you drop a stick real quick and just grab another one. Your body is your temple. So your voice has to be healthy. So you can't go out at night a bunch at, you know, you know, and party and this and that and the other, or like loud bars or this and that. You got to remember when you're on tour, if you go out and you yell all night because you're having a good time or what have you, you're going to wake up and you're not going to have a voice. And the other thing was I told him was water, 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 water. And I think at the time he was like, how much water do I need to drink? I'm like, a lot. <laughs> because you, there's that physicality of that when you're on the road. And what's awesome is that I know that he listened to me during that time because when he goes on the road, he just got done with a completely sold out tour. Um, I think it was 64 shows and everyone was sold out. Like, and these are huge buildings. These are like 20,000 capacity, 25,000 capacity. Um, every one of them sold out. But if you notice in that time frame that he was out on that tour, um, you know, he did social media and you would kind of get a recap from the shows and this and that and the other. But he wasn't on social media a lot during that time because he was taking care of himself. He was resting his voice. He was doing what he needed to do. But he's got it, man. He knows what he's doing. He's been waiting his whole life for this, man. And he, you know, I, I just I'm just I'm just so happy for this guy, man. I really, really am. He has such an incredible future. He's. He's also showing the public that speech he did the other night at the CMAs. He full on preached to in one minute, man, gave the most rousing and inspiring speech for winning best new artist of the year at the CMAs. He he's locked and loaded, man. He knows what he's doing. Congratulations on the uh, the crossroad, the crossover success of uh, symptom of being human. Yeah, still working on it. <laughs> My goodness gracious, that song is stunning. Thank you. It is uh, just amazing. The lyrics, uh, invitation to the to the lunatic ball. I mean, yeah. uh, that that's an amazing song. Can you tell me about the creation of that and how it makes you feel on how that song is connecting with people? Yeah, I mean, I think I have a t you know I have a tendency to get long winded. Um, but with that particular song, we wrote that song in the midst of a pandemic when we knew that people were scared and afraid and frustrated and angry and confused with everything that was going on in the world. And when I arrived in South Carolina with Eric, our bass player, another thing, too, that people may not know. Um, so Eric Bass, who's our bass player, who's probably a bass player last in, in all reality, um, the last two albums, Attention, Attention and Planet Zero, he has produced, engineered and mixed uh, both full length re records. So um, when I arrived in in uh, South Carolina with him, this was June of 2020. Um, you know, I remember that song was a gift. It, it, it really was. And you don't get gifts when you're making an album all the time. They're, they're actually very, very rare. Um, and what a gift is, is when you're in the studio and you're working on a record and you're writing new material, a gift is a song that really, in a lot of ways, it writes itself. It kind of utilizes you as a vessel in order to be born. Because um, I remember the song came very quick. The lyrics came in a flood. Like, I just remember I was kind of holding on 
um, while we were writing it, myself and Eric. And then, you know, taking a step back when we looked at it before I went in to do the vocals, I'm reading the lyrics and I'm I'm looking at the structure of the song and how it was laid out. And I mean, we we wrote that song in an afternoon. And I did the vocal that you hear on the album that made the actual record because we don't really do demos anymore. Like when we write a song, we go in there and we're recording it for real nine times out of ten. Um, but we wrote it in an afternoon and I sang the vocal that that evening. And that's the, the vocal that you hear on the on the track. Um, and again, it was a song that I feel it needed to be. It wanted to be born so badly that it utilized us as a vessel so that it could present itself to the public. And the overwhelming response from people with that song in particular um, has been humbling. It, it really, really has. And again, it's a song about understanding that we're all a work in progress. Um, you know, life is a journey. You're not promised tomorrow. Um, and, and you have to focus on what you're doing today. Um, but at times, the world can be an interesting place to navigate, and it's going to throw a lot of different curveballs at you. And you have to figure out a way to navigate that in life. Um, but for me, it was a gift. I think in our career in Shinedown, there's only really been three gifts. Um, 45 on the first record was a gift. Um, and Second Chance on the Sound of Madness album was a gift. Those two songs were written quite quickly um and when you know you take a step back and you look you're like did i write this you know you're kind of stunned by it um and it's been a minute and the symptom i would say would be number three you know they they don't come often man so when they that when they come uh you're very grateful for them well in closing um what are you still learning these days what am i that's an interesting question to be put in that and and be presented like that um, not, not to sound, uh, if, if I'm, if I'm continuing to learn anything, it is quite frankly, to keep learning, <laughs> like to not think that, you know, again, like don't arrive, like, don't, don't, don't worry about the arrival, you know, focus on the journey. Um, I think that I'm learning that the younger generation, I think a lot of people, I, I see them and I mean this from a creative standpoint, that the younger generation is really gifted and really talented, and we need to help guide them, you know, forward um, and, and, and not be so uh, mean-spirited and really focus that for the future of all of us. You know, look, for, for me, when I think about the rock and roll sensibility and the community that is rock and roll. This is what I've learned and what I continue to learn. I've never looked at rock and roll as a genre of music. I've always looked at rock and roll as a way of life. I remember when Ice Cube got inducted into the rock and roll of fame with NWA. He walked up to that podium and the very first thing he said was rock and roll is the spirit and it's an honor to be here. And uh, that's what I mean, man, where the rock and roll community is so inviting and welcoming because it is for everybody. It doesn't matter 
Listen, anyone from anywhere at any time is welcomed all the time in the rock and roll community. And it's about being diverse and it's about being open minded. And it's about not always needing the platform to to speak or to to yell what you want to say to the world. Sometimes you have to take a step back and listen to people and really be aware that we're all human beings and we're all connected and we share this planet with a lot of other creatures, you know, and we should be respectful of that. I think the biggest thing that I learned is that I just want to see, especially for Shinedown and what we do as rock and roll ambassadors, that you got to remember something. This is something that's key. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, and it doesn't matter if you're younger or you're older. The color of your skin, that's irrelevant. Your religion, that's your business. That's up to you. That's what makes you an individual, and that's what makes you original. And it's that support for each other. It's that understanding that we should all evolve together, but that we should focus more on supporting each other as much as we possibly can. So if anything, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can on this journey. And when I can do it, teach somebody what I've learned. Well, thank you for all that you continue to give us. Thank you for the opportunity. Congratulations for being not only one of America's great rock bands, but one of the best global rock bands, Shinedown. Thank you so, so much. I'm honored to be here. That means the world to me. And, and, and thank you for giving me the time today. This has been an absolute blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. 
Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.